This What's Trending conversation is brought to you by Henley Business Radio. Welcome to this, our very first hashtag What's Trending conversation here on hashtag Henley Business Radio. My name's John Foster Pedley, the Dean of Henley Business School in Africa, and it's with great pleasure that I introduce you today. Firstly, Samir Roji, Dean of Google's O School. Samir, welcome. Thank you. And talent whisperer and creative parenting expert, Nikki Bush. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you, John. And Raymond de Villiers, futurist and Generation Y digital natives expert. What a fantastic panel to have. Thank you very much indeed for being here, all of you. So tonight, Samir, Nikki, Raymond, and I are going to be addressing a whole host of our students and faculty and what we expect to be a wonderful event. So let's start with Samir. Please, would you introduce yourself in 30 seconds? Introduce myself in 30 seconds. I... Um during my time in university, I started a digital education company, the goal of helping more students get into university. That took me to, uh, to Google, where I later worked in education. And then uh, from that point, I uh, launched something called O-School, which was about understanding how do we bring meaning into the workplace in a way that helps people do what they care about, but is also actually meaningful for the company as far as business objectives. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more about that. And you, Nikki, in 30 seconds, please. So I've always been interested in talent, and I think uh, switching hats from creative parenting expert to talent whisperer for this event and for a lot of work going on in the future is really because talent, we're all, all on the journey of raising talent. So from birth, parents are raising talent at home, teachers are educating talent at school, and then we all become talent in the world of work, and employers are also continue, continuing with the journey of raising talent. And we as individuals need to continue raising our own talent. So for me, there's this talent continuum, and uh, raising talent for the new world of work, this event that we, we're holding tonight, is really about recognizing the fact that we're all on this journey. Thanks, Nikki. I'm looking forward to hearing much more about that, too. And Raymond, 30 seconds for you. Raymond de Villiers, I'm part of a team at a company called Tomorrow Today. And what we do is we track trends around the future world of work, helping organizations and people understand how and why the world of work is changing. My specific focus area is on tracking the dynamics that are helping us navigate this transition into the digital world more effectively and focusing specifically in two areas. The one is looking at people. So understanding the fact that people who are 35 and younger have grown up with digital as a normal part of the world, that digital natives um, label, and what that means, how we work with them as employees and as customers. And the second side, which we're not going to talk about too much tonight, is looking at the way digital is disrupting money and mm. what the future of money is. Because as money changes, the rest of our society changes too. Well, I think that's the topic for another program. That's a great <laughs> idea. But let's pick up on that, you know, the change in the world of work, because I think we're all focused around that. So you start, Raymond, now, you, now you're on a roll here. Cool. So what's changing in the world of work? I think the, probably the, the biggest change in the world of work is that the change is discontinuous. So for our parents and our grandparents, uh, they were able to essentially take what was being experienced yesterday, project it forward and make a relatively informed decision or create a relatively informed picture of what tomorrow would look like. The challenge for us today is that if we take yesterday and project it forward, we're living in a world where tomorrow is nothing like what yesterday looked like. And so it's this discontinuous change, which is making it far more difficult and far more complex 
to have strategy discussions, to have conversations around products, mm. around client and customer, um, because this is the fundamental shift in the way that our world is put together in a way that it never has been before. So a lot more complexity. So as Nikki was saying, we're all in the business of raising talent or engaging in talent somehow. So part of what you're saying, and we'll come to you on this, Nikki, is that the talent we're raising needs to be differently adapted to this fast-changing world or this the, I would, the new I would, parameters. I'll flip it the other way around, and I'd mm. say that our talent is context-relevant. So our talents have grown up in a world where their skills, their abilities, and their insights are relevant and applicable and appropriate to this world that they've grown up in. What's happened, though, is that the corporate world hasn't adjusted to the social context. And so we're getting a space where young talent is coming into the world of work, and the world of work has not necessarily adjusted to those dynamics yet. And so the, the danger that we see on the horizon is the potential for the increasing irrelevance of much of our workplace dynamics. So big companies collapsing, all sorts of stress and tension. Nikki, what do you think about this? Do you think that the world is changing that fast? And oh, it definitely is. And one of the things that we have to change our minds about as adults is that we're used to the Fortune 500 companies being the biggest employers in the world. And our children are going to move into a world where your small and medium-sized enterprises are going to be the biggest employers. And in fact, many of them will have to be entrepreneurs themselves. 60 to 70% of the jobs our children will do have not yet been invented. So what are we preparing our children for? And I just think of the last three to five years, how things have changed, that we have the world's biggest taxi company, Uber, does not own any vehicles. We have the world's biggest accommodation company, not owning any hotels. So Airbnb, for example, the world's mm. biggest telephone company doesn't own any telephones. That is not the world we grew up in. It is a world where it's ambiguous, it's temporary, it's intangible, and yet our children have grown up in that world. So it's not actually foreign to them. And somewhere we have to get closer together to the reality out there mm. If we want to guide our children in preparing for that world and that world is constantly changing and if that world is constantly changing and and the figures are that that a third of the jobs um, that our children will do uh, well two-thirds we don't know about so a third will be automated a third will be completely different and a third might be a continuation of what we know it's quite difficult to advise them on what exactly to do so we can't actually predict the future. Therefore, we need to prepare them for the path rather than preparing the path for the child, because that path is constantly changing today. Well, that's going to be a challenge for parents as well. So building what, what you were saying there, Raymond, you know, that the corporates aren't ready they're not changing. And, and I assume you would argue also, Nikki, that the schools aren't changing. Is that they're right? trying, but yeah. it's a slow process. Yeah. You know, like corporations, schools are institutions and they're steeped in tradition and how they do things. And it's slow to change. So I wonder what a school would look like if it were changing. Samir, <laughs> tell us about the old school. We had a conversation earlier where you asked me why, why all of this. And what I started talking about is this idea that, you know, every human has the aspiration to do the work that they are made for and to realize their greatest self. And this sounds like philosophy that just, you know, belongs in a book in the library, but it can't sit there forever. We need to talk about how does this actually start to become part of the workplace. And this is meaningful for everybody of all ages. We have a new generation, a, new, a next workforce where this becomes important. 
Why? Because they're going to live much longer lives, predictably until 150, with all the good healthcare solutions we're starting to learn about. They will pursue between 8 to 12 careers, vastly different careers, like Nikki said, some that don't exist yet. And they will continue to search for work that they're actually passionate about and in which they can make an impact. Right? This notion of impact, I think, is something that's important for a generation that doesn't have to worry about putting food on the table. That's what their parents were thinking about. So now they're asking what's next in that process. And we're starting to see more workplaces actually be open and welcoming to that. But actually an important part of how they will hire the next part of their workforce, since that's not just a luxury anymore, but what young people are expecting from work. Mm. So what I hear you saying is we have to have more meaning at work mm. and, and more of us has to be there. So in the old days, we would perhaps come to work dressed up in sort of figurative and, and real suits mm. and armor, you know, and show narrow, narrow slices of ourselves. And we came to perform. And you came to perform, exactly, mm. right. But now it's different, isn't it? There's much more, much more of us at workplace. Yeah, Raymond. I, I want to just pick up on that meaning perspective in, a t in terms of how we manage lives and careers. I mean, Samir is spot on talking about just the, n the number of changes that are going to happen through mm. the lifetime. Now, when you're working for 20 or 30 years, the academic qualification that you got would be something that would stand you in good stead for most of that working period. Right. But when you're living to a, in excess of 100 years old, you're not working for 20 or 30 years. You're working for double, maybe even triple that period of time. So an academic qualification that you got early on in your career becomes irrelevant and becomes redundant very soon afterwards, in particular in a world that's changing so consistently. So education and the way that people learn have to be shifted. So what Samir and the guys at O School are trying to do is beginning to connect in exactly the right way to build the skills and the, the perspectives that young men and women today need to be successful. Because you're not going to be able to look at a person's CV and judge them on the additional things of, so what are your qualifications, mm. where, where did you study? We're going to have to start looking at what, what did you get as on-the-job learning? How did you engage with massive open online courses? How did you engage with um, programs offered through a school like Henley that maybe not be part of your formal curriculum, that mm. maybe is informal, that is just one module or one component of a formal, and that then begins to shift the way we recruit and hire people. So there's a whole different way of looking at the world of work, what I'm hearing from generation Fundamentally, ago, yes. Multiple careers, changing interests, and you as a person seeking meaning and purpose and, uh, and growing and adapting in that process. So you might have different interests 10 years from now than you had now. We're already seeing this meaning conversation coming up. There's a thing, there's a, a label that's been coined for the millennial generation called the quarter life crisis, which is kicking in right about 28, uh, 29. And the course of life crisis is essentially related to that. They're getting to their late 20s and they're lifting their heads up and they're asking, is this who I want to be? So you've got a quarter life crisis, half life crisis, mm. three quarter life crisis. So, and here's an interesting thing. So, for, I'm, so I'm 45. Mm -hmm. So for people in my generation, Generation X, we hit a midlife crisis in our 40s. And that was the first time we were able to lift up our heads and ask the meaning question. And what's happening for the millennials, for the Generation Y, they're getting to a space where they're able to ask the meaning question and where they are asking the meaning question mm. earlier. So it's, we're not talking about a fundamental shift in human nature. What we're talking about is it happening sooner and sooner and sooner. And the consequences in the workplace are being felt more acutely at an earlier stage. So, so Nikki, this must be resonating with you. I can see your brain buzzing <laughs> from the other side of the studio here. What have you got to say Absolutely. on it? I think young people are kind of asking that question of what's the point? 
and they're asking it at school level. Mm. Samir spent three days at a school the other day absorbing where these kids mm. are at yeah. because he's running courses in schools so that kids actually start taking that question from a younger age and expanding on it and building on it and asking themselves introspective questions. So, so what's the point? Well, the point is that you're here for a purpose, and it's about discovering and uncovering that purpose at an earlier age so that you can choose work that is of interest to you, where you can express your values, your beliefs, your talents, your passions, and be able to adapt those to different scenarios as the world of work changes. In other words, you take yourself with you wherever you go, and so it's Actually building on the who, so who you are and why you do what you do becomes far more important than what you do and what you sell because that is going to change all the time. So it's helping people to get a handle at whatever age they are, whether they're 15, 25, 35 or 65, mm -hmm. on the who. And that brings us back to the fact that we are human first and foremost. And unfortunately what's happened in big organizations over time is that the talent development and talent management programs have started managing people as pure resources rather than human beings. Yes, they're bits of the people. They just want a bit of you at work. That's the safe bit, the useful bit, <laughs> the factified bit, right? But not, not the whole thing. So what you, you want to work with a group of people who want to be who they are and have meaning. And that comes back to Samir about the Google experience you mm. must have had. That, must be, that sounds like what Google does. Is that mm. right? Mm -hmm. How is that? I guess it's uh, an example of a, of a corporate company that really speaks to what it means to design a company around the human. And it's, it's all data-driven. We're not just thinking about uh, how do you put another slide in the office or provide extra free food, but what is the system that you're trying to build to help people realize their greatest potential? Which is why it was a very ripe environment for, for someone like me in the company to start something called the 20% project, like every employee is allowed to do. So what is that? What is a 20% project? Yeah. 20% project is this notion that you're not just here for the work that you were hired for, but we also want you to spend maybe a day in your week to work on something that you think would move the company forward in a way that we haven't thought about yet. So that's the opposite of, I mean, I saw this picture by Joseph Jurassic, who's head, headmaster of Red Hill School, showing a, a classroom and then an industrial production line. And they look spookily similar. <laughs> exactly. And you just want people to be working as units of production. Mm. So what you're saying, this is breaking through all that. You want people to be units of invention. Mm. All right. People to do new things. Is that how it was with Google? That was your experience there. I mean, if I hire you and I say that, um, you know what, do what you need to do. I'm not measuring you by the amount of hours you spend at your desk, but by your productivity. And whatever other free time you have is up to you to do as you will in ways that will actually move the company forward, and you're only 21, you feel deeply empowered. These are like 21-year-olds sitting at the table, and they are being listened to as an equal to any executive or director because they're measured by the meritocratic level of what they're thinking, not by their age. So here's an interesting reflection from a generational yeah. theory perspective. Right. And this is one of the things where um, Generation Xs and younger baby boomers have created a whip for our own backs. Because from the time the millennials were children, we have done exactly what Samir has just illustrated now from a workplace perspective. We've engaged them and we've brought them into conversations around things that influence and affect their lives. So we haven't just told them, you will do this at school. We've asked them, what would you like to do? And then we've tried to influence them toward the point that we think is appropriate or right. But 
we have essentially asked questions. We haven't given instructions. Mm. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a generation of people who are entering the workplace, and now for the first time in their lives, they're being confronted by this old management ethic of, I'm the boss, sit down, shut up, do what I tell you. And we have this view of organizations like Google that are doing what Samir has just described as, whoa, these guys are doing something that's so creative and so radical and so out there. No, they're not. They're just doing the stuff that we have always done as their parents, teachers, and their family and community leaders. The disconnect is actually in the way corporate organizations treat junior, in quotation marks, individuals. And those corporates, if they're going to act like that, they're setting themselves up for failure, aren't they? Totally. Things change. And if you're going to create a massive machine, which is for stability, then at some point it'll be disrupted. Is that right? So our children in a disruptive world, is that right? Totally. So how do we get the new generation of talent to be brilliant at disruption, yet hang around long enough to actually to do something fruitful and, and create some outcomes because we all need to make productive things to add value to society? We need to change, yeah. our, we need to change our view of hang around. Right. So hang around traditionally has meant we've got your bum in this seat. Right. And as long as your bum is in the seat generating work over eight hours. And you do what you're told to do. And you do what you're told. Oh, that's very important. And we've, we've, yeah. we've got, you know, you're productive. We've bought those eight hours. Then it's okay. And that's what hanging on to them means. What we're seeing now, though, is that hanging on means something different. Reten- talent retention is different. Mm-hmm. It's not about retaining that bum in the seat. It's about their heart, your heart or their heart, sorry, in your hands. Mm. Because there are so many more opportunities. There's so much more mobility than we've ever experienced before. Talent will leave because mm. they'll leave whether it's a quarter-life crisis where they're, they're just going for another experience. They will leave because they want to. What we've got to do is when they're on their way out is we've got to structure our exit interview process so that we keep contact and connection with the top individuals that we want. Because the thing about talent is that talent runs in herds. Mm. Talented people have talented friends. And just because you lose that individual doesn't mean that you should lose access to that social network. Multiple bums, future seats. There we go, multiple bums, future seats. come back to Nikki on that. I know you're a talent developer and you're always talking about parenting things. So this is, this is the new generation of people, some of the expectations and how we're teaching them. What can we do to help them? What can we do to help them make contributions as we're developing them and training them and educating them and bringing them up? So I think traditionally we have seen children and the system has seen children as empty vessels that need to be filled mm-hmm. with stuff, with knowledge, with fact, with content. Rote learning, passing exams. And we haven't here. recognized on a mass scale that everybody is just a mass of human potential and that we don't come into this world as empty vessels. We actually come in here innately wired with strengths, with weaknesses, with talents. And it's through exposure and experience of the world and interacting with other human beings that we actually get to bring all those things to the fore. So once again, it's, it's about not just leaving a child at the mercy of a system, but actually making sure a child is marinated in a human marinade. So how do you do people, that? I mean, give us some examples. How does that well, work? Well, I think in, in the case of bringing up children in this very fast-paced world where mm. we have a lot of parents who are working full-time, this is a particular challenge. Both parents. Yeah. Both parents because mm. people are socializing less as families. They're so tired on the weekend we don't have family bries and we don't do play dates and we whatsapp each other you know, and we I mean, whatsapp each yeah. other so i think there's a real need for conscious human connection i always say in a high tech world we balance it out with high touch and there's a lot of communication but there's a lot less 
connection. And in the, in the home front, and there's a parallel here in the employment front as well, is face-to-face as much as we are digital today and using digital technology to be efficient and work faster, mm-hmm. face-to-face is still the most prized form of connection. Because you wrote a book called Tech-Savvy Parenting. Tech-Savvy Parenting, yeah, yes. It, yeah. yes. And which talks about this iPad yeah. curse all parents are dealing with these days. Yeah. We celebrate mm-hmm. what we can do with technology, but we need to balance it with face-to-face time. And very interestingly, Samir's courses that, that he's been running through O-School – they haven't digitized those courses. Those no. courses sure. Sorry. are done face-to-face. Can face I just get my face. head around this? A Google person, young, you know, in his 20s, setting up the old school, which everyone would imagine be totally tech-driven, you haven't digitized? Why is that? Surely that's going against all the received with them and all, all the concepts of today. What's going on? Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. Actually, have you ever watched Star Trek? I've watched Star Trek. I've watched Star Trek. And uh, there's, a, there's this one episode, I think, from about the 70s or so. It's about um, a ship that lands. So uh, this is Captain Kirk's ship lands on a planet. This looks to be an extremely primitive species. Everybody's dressed in a, in a very hippie way, and everybody's just quite relaxed. And his ship is crashed, and he's waiting for parts to come from another planet. But when he wakes up in the morning, he finds that his ship is actually fixed. How did this happen? It turns out that this species actually has already been through a cycle where they've experienced the heights of all technology, and they're now going back to finding what it means to be human again, what it means to connect as humans, what it means to know who we are with each other. Since technology right now is built just for that, Snapchat, WhatsApp, Facebook, we're just trying to connect as humans. And so while the world is doing a great job in building more technologies, some of us have to think of the next step, What is life beyond those technologies? How do we actually start bringing people together to understand each other? Because I think that's the beginning of building great organizations, great societies. We had Stafford Mace at a talk earlier this week. He was ex-CEO of Google in Africa, I believe. He was talking about technology becoming invisible. Mm. The technology is fundamentally useful, like electricity, when it's pervasive and invisible. And you're saying the same thing almost. Like it's not about the technology. It's about when this thing is so prevalent, we can now use it to be creative and be human. Is that right? It can, can amplify our humanity. Is that, is that what you're doing through O-School? Absolutely. I mean, the three areas that we talk about is being, thinking, and making. Which so, is a maker economy, that this whole thing. This whole maker economy. economy yeah, right. Right. So we're in this thinking space. Well, we've been in this thinking space. You go to university. You acquire all this knowledge. But then you haven't learned how to use your hands. You haven't learned how to make or produce, whether it's technology or woodwork. So now we're in that phase. But you only learned to use your thumbs up to that. <laughs> Absolutely, you only use your thumbs. Yeah. And then we need to now circle back to this notion of being, mm-hmm. right? So mindfulness, this uh, so-called soft topic, has actually become the number one priority of well-being departments in some of the world's best companies. It's backed by deep science and research from institutions like Harvard and Stanford to say this is extremely effective for the workplace. And what is that speaking to? I mean, it's just speaking to people being able to see each other. You spoke earlier of not being qualified for your job. Mm. Companies like IDEO call that being, they say, the, uh, the expert often misses what the novice notices. Mm. So innovation starts from this place of observation. We need to get out of our thinking and just start to be present and to notice. And when we can notice, we can actually start to build meaningful solutions. So that's very important. It's about being conscious, about being present, about seeing a whole situation, not <laughs> having your prejudice and obsessions and uh, whatever influencing what you see. In fact, you now start to see what's going on in front of you. Mm-hmm. And by being mindful and present, you can actually deal with that and you can do new things. Mm-hmm. Is that right? 
Actually, at, uh, at Google X, which is the department that builds all those special projects mm-hmm. at Google, self-driving cars, internet in the sky, that kind of thing, their mantra is being able to shift your perspective is better than being smart. Mm-hmm. We can't know everything. If you've grown up in this neighborhood and you're the leader of your business community, you've still only been exposed to a certain amount of variables. And so when you're trying to build big solutions and you're sitting in a room with people with multiple degree backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, exposure backgrounds, you have to be able to step aside and say, what is it that you think? This is my solution. I've succeeded X many times, but what are your ideas? And presence seems to create the space for that. Beautiful and brilliant. And I think that's probably resonating with all of us here. I can see Nikki's eyes just as, as Raymond's too. What, do you, what have you got to say yeah, on Yeah, I think something that I want to add to that part of the conversation is that technology will increasingly allow us to have more leisure time because machines will do a lot more of our work. And in order to enjoy that leisure time, we're going to need to know how how to relate to other people, which, um, you know, so human connection, which is what Samir was alluding to. But I think my addition there is knowing yourself and being able to dip into the mindfulness and the presence to reconnect with you. Mm. And in our overall busyness of trying to balance work and life, we've become human doings, not human beings. And I find that one of the biggest challenges for people is to reconnect with themselves. And we do a much better parenting job and a much better job at managing other people if we know who we are, if we know how to connect head and heart, and we're not just operating out of our heads. Because mm-hmm. then we're much more expansive people. Right. So this is the future, humanity, presence, consciousness. And we're going to finish off now. Let's have a last comment from everybody. So, Raymond. So I'm going to be the dissenting voice in the room. Excellent. I hear the technology conversation coming through, but I think the reason technology becomes invisible is not because there's less technology, but because there's more technology and it becomes more effective. Mm. So yes, that would fu- make futurists are beginning to they, they speak. Ray Kurzweil and, and a number of others are speaking of a point in time called the singularity where technology um, begins, the rate at, at which technology improves begins to exceed the rate at which humanity does. And we will then augment ourselves with technology into a space that they're calling transhumanism. I think a lot of what we're speaking about here is on the utopian perspective mm. of, a, of what transhumanism means, where technology creates more free time and free space, enables us to be more mindful and more present because we're less focused or distracted by the craziness of life. But then there is alternatively the dystopian side, which is to look past the technology and look to human nature. And our human nature is that when we open up space, we don't go onto the beach and meditate and do yoga. We fill it with something else. And so the flip side is that we need to create or develop coping skills for a world where technology and our lives become increasingly more complex, not increasingly more simple. That's a great comment. It's timeless, isn't it? If you look back at all the practices from Buddhism, whatever, this is always about the mind and its occupation, mastering the senses, etc., not falling into the traps of human nature and trying to navigate a way forward, which is everything about raising talent anyway, to give people a decent life. So this is the eternal Manichaean battle, isn't it, that we're engaged in? So plan for utopian, prepare for dystopian. Thank you. And a last word for you, Nikki, and then we'll come to Samir. As we are increasingly going into a disruptive world, because technology is disrupting everything, we need to also learn how to keep the human in the middle. Hmm. Thank you very much. That's beautiful. Samia, 
Google and your life. Last words, please. Last words. I'd like to just uh, extend on Ray's point where um, I say that technology, entrepreneurship, problem solving, analytical skills, coding, I don't want to say that this is not important because I've studied all those things and I am continuing to expand my knowledge in those areas. Those are very, very important. But so long as we are to take full potential of those skills and of that knowledge, we need to understand that there's also this internal world going on. And if we can master that, then we can really realize the full potential of all these so-called hard skills. Thank you, all of you, for that wonderful conversation. Samir Roji, the Dean of Google O School, pioneering education in South Africa and elsewhere. Thank you. Look forward to seeing the results there. Talent whisperer and creative parenting expert, Nikki Bush. Thank you for your comments, as always. Looking forward to your future talks. And Raym de Villiers, thank you very much. Futurist and generation-wide digital natives expert. Thanks for being part of this conversation. Thank you very much indeed. We're going to have many more high-value conversations like this one. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on hashtag what's trending and what we at Henley Business School, hashtag Henley Africa, along with our thought leader guests, think about these things. If you'd like to address a specific topic, please don't hesitate to direct message us, message us, or email us with your suggestions. I'm Jonathan foster Pedley, Dean of Henley Business School in Africa, and I look forward to engaging with you again. We build a people who build the businesses that build Africa. For more Henley Business Radio podcasts, go to our website, www.henleysa.ac.za.